You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. All right. What is up, everyone? Welcome to yet another episode of Cure to Consumption. I am your host, Lance Lambert, and excited to have our special guest host back in the house, Rochelle Gordon, who both of us have been road warriors lately, but I think there's at least one or two shows you hit that was not on my radar. <laughs> so we have to catch up on that. <laughs> Indeed. Here it's going on. And then we have quite a few more shows coming on uh, in the next uh, few weeks here in California. But first want to jump in with our guests and I'm super excited. You guys can always hear when I'm smiling because I always have friends on, but then there's those really good friends and uh, the individual that's joining us today. I've known for years. I wish I could recall when we first actually met, but have always been a fan of uh, the company she works for and uh, the content she puts out. Kathy Brewer, who is the director of content for MG Magazine. Kathy, are you there? I am. Hi, Lance. Hey. Hi, Michelle. Hey, <laughs> Kathy. What's up? <laughs> Lance, you flatter me too much. Now people are going to think I'm a nice person, and we all know that's not true. Okay, now that's a rumor. You're super nice, <laughs> especially with the Texas accent. Come on now. <laughs> so welcome. It's so cool to have you on the show. And, and like I said, honestly, you know, we've gone back a ways. I can't remember from when, but I know ever since I first was introduced to MG, I think... I think it's either when I was GM at the cannabis or when I was running media weed maps, one of the two. I think it's when I was at the cannabis, but was always impressed with the brand and the quality of the content, even the quality of the finished product. Yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about, just to back up, um, you've been in this industry for a minute, but maybe if you want to tell the listeners, you know, where you're coming from, what had you transition into a focus within the uh, cannabis and hemp space, and then uh, then we'll go from there. Well, cannabis actually fascinates me, that the industry does. Um, the plant, too. <laughs> um, being in Texas, I can't get too, fa- too um, fascinated by the plant because I'll get arrested. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's a whole other thing, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I... Uh, Darren Roberts, who founded MG Magazine, I have worked with him off and on for a long time, 20 years, yeah. more than 20 years. And um, we kind of caught up with each other. At one point, I was working for another company, and he happened to need somebody who does what I do. So I jumped ship from the other guys and went to work with Darren again. And it's great. I love the magazine. I love what we do. I love the people I get to interact with. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and you all... And, you know, Darren, Darren's phenomenal guy and in full disclosure, we're good friends. And I've learned one thing with Darren and I'm kind of the same way as Rochelle smiles over at me because she's kind of on, she's in my posse, so to speak, as far as people I support and mentor. But that's what I've found with Darren. And that's probably why we get along so well, because I know you're one of a few, Aaron being another, that have just had this, this long lasting, I mean, not years, decades relationship with him and, and working with him and being a part of, you know, that like family, really. It's not just, oh, we're colleagues and you work for me, I work for you it's it seems to be more than that it is the the four of us there are four of us that have been together a long time and that's <clears throat> excuse me Aaron Zavala who's the 
chief operating officer, mm-hmm. Angela Durasmo, who's the creative director. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, Angela. She does all the designs of the magazine. She's fantastic. I, I just love what she does graphically. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there's Darren and me, and we've all worked together <clears throat> for decades. And we really do get along very well. We enjoy each other. We work together well. Um Keep each other on the straight and narrow. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Keep each other under control. But um, yeah, no, Darren. Darren's a, a strange man. He inspires that kind of community around him, and it's yeah. it's really nice to work in that kind of environment. Yeah, I have to agree. I can tell the synergy, mm-hmm. and, and you all look so happy. I mean, not not every day is happy day. There's a lot going on in the world and everything else, but you can still sense, like I said, almost like a level of camaraderie by way of like a, a family type relationship, and that means yeah. a lot for people to be successful and support each other. So, definitely good stuff. Well, another thing I kind of want to jump into is, um, and, and I don't know if all of our listeners are aware. I actually write a monthly. Uh, column for MG. So I'm always looking forward to my bit that I contribute, but I have to say in general, I'm looking forward to the December issue in, in Rochelle. I think you, you're a fan as well. You follow it. That's like their biggest issue of the year, you know? Absolutely. And so, and, and Rochelle also being, if for folks that don't know, also Rochelle is another writer and it, it does way more than me. <laughs> <regard>. <laughs> that is your life in this, in this space. Um, but yeah, definitely like as far as what's going on, there's a lot and we'll talk a little bit to Rochelle more about it, but specifically for what you all have going in the December issue, it was a heavy one. Can you give us a little insight and maybe even some of these awesome yeah. stats I always get from you guys? December is our big issue every year. Um, because it's the issue in which we publish America's top cannabis employers. Um, what that is, is a list of, excuse me, it's usually about 50. I'm sorry, my voice no is giving me fits today. Um, no but it's companies that actually put their employees at the core of their business. They uh, have a great corporate culture. Mm -hmm. They provide lots of good benefits and perks to their employees. Their employees are happy working there. Um, They inspire loyalty in their employees. And it's, it's a long process to come up with those companies that actually fit the mold of the best employers. Yeah, right. Because there's thousands of employers. Again, you know, I know some aren't aware, but with the fact that this industry, specifically in the U.S., has over 300,000 individuals employed, and that's not including, and so that's not banking, and that's literally, you know, very close or plant touching. And so, uh, and then also, Rochelle, which she pointed out, she's got to save the Terps. That's my favorite camp. I'm still trying to capture that lightning in a bottle again. She's got to save the Terps <laughs> hat on. And you guys won. Bovida won. Is this, I think, the third year for Bovida to be on the list? Bovida's on there. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a, And it's a huge honor and one that I'm totally not surprised to see them get. Yeah. I mean, you know, Bovida is such a fantastic, fantastic culture, and they really, really take good care of their people. It's an amazing group. Everyone has such yeah. a great time together, and yeah, it's it's no surprise that they showed up on that list. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, and they care, and they well, keep it keep it a small-feeling company, even though it's grown exponentially. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
I believe Green Bros is on there too, Lance. Yes, yes. This is our Yay. first year. <laughs> Yay. I know, super stoked. And, you know, I'm trying to kind of recreate what we've had at uh, Bovida as an example amongst other places where there's just that level of energy and community and everyone in it to win it. You know, everyone's supporting each other. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was really, really humbled and, and appreciative of uh, Green Bros getting to make the list as well. And there's some other fantastic, I mean, ones that are absolutely no surprise. I got to get a little sneak peek on your uh, the PDF drop uh, last week. And, um, I mean, it's just all good vibes, all good people. So it's awesome. There's a, there's a lot. There's a, a broad range of uh, sectors there, mm-hmm. and they're from all over the country. It's not they're not concentrated so much in one or two states. They're from New Jersey and Florida and, you know, just all over the place, the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> of course, you know, we've got Cal- lots of Californians on there, but that's because California has such a huge industry. Yeah, very um, true. But it, it's, it's really nice to see the way the industry is spreading out and taking its heart with it. Because 100%. I think what you see in a lot of cannabis companies still, even though the industry is mature, maturing, you see a lot of heart in cannabis companies. They are yep. committed to things like the environment and uh, criminal justice reform and exactly. social equity. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of those things travel across the country as the movement does. And that's an excellent point because that's something that, and especially, you know, again, Rochelle and I are out working the circuit all the time, all these different events and shows, and it is nice seeing those companies that put a focus in, not to be biased, but it does seem more predominant in places like Northern California, where I'm not surprised as at the at the first high school to have a recycling program up there for crying out loud. It's like, <laughs> that's what we grew up with. But it's so cool to see like how much post-consumer product or we have a friend who makes things out of hemp, right? Uh, right? And so like so many things that, you know, contribute back. And that's what we're doing as a company. I know Bovida has, they've always been a contributor for, um, for the veterans movement centric to cannabis and for uh, giving back to the local community in general. I know they have some programs. And that's same with Green Bros. We're, you know, continuing to support the vets because we're a vet-owned and, and vet-run company. Um, and then try, but we're trying to be more vocal. Like, you know, 95% of our product is post-consumer recyclable. Like, there's so many elements that, again, people don't think of, but green is more than just the plant itself. Like, being green as a community, you know, definitely makes an impact too. Really, really. So. That's something I think a lot of people are starting to recognize is uh, green is is a large movement in society right now. Yeah. Um, and it's not just people think, you know, millennials and Gen Z are the ones who are so concerned about the planet. And that's not really accurate. No, if sure. you look at it, boomers actually are leading the movement, mm-hmm. which is a little different than what we've seen with other social movements like that. They usually start with younger people, but... Um, Studies are showing that boomers actually are more uh, economic or environmentally focused than the younger groups. Well, that's interesting because that's also, I know it's not, um, it's tough to kind of segregate by a um, group uh, because it's almost on the cusp, I'd say, of high-end Gen X, low-end boomers. But uh, the 50 and up, that's the fastest growing segment I know for use in cannabis, you know, and specifically people coming from mainstream that 
rather they are fed up with alcohol or bad experiences or friends passing away like myself and others that, that have had friends that have passed away from opioids and, and other painkillers and pharmaceuticals. Um, yeah, that's really cool to see. Like I, I always love seeing it. I know, Rochelle, you have some great conversations when you travel too, right? Oh, yeah. The one-on-ones about that. Absolutely. And I have been seeing a lot more folks over the age of 50 asking me about that. You know, yeah. they haven't had experience with the plant in many, many, many years or, or maybe not at all. I had one uh, person, a friend's mother, come to me recently, and she said, Rochelle, I don't even know what questions to ask you. <laughs> yeah, it, that's it's a good so one. overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, right? And there's so much, I think, when you're dealing with certain generations, you know, we can't forget that, you know, Nixon started that big drug. I mean, you can go back to Anslinger, but more modern, right? It was really the early 70s and Nixon's movement with the war on drugs. What we grew up with was more of the, the Nancy Reagan, Daryl Gates you know, war on drugs, uh, just say no campaign of the eighties, but everyone's been brainwashed to a certain extent from a different level. And I don't leave Hollywood <laughs> exempt either. I think you've heard me mention this, Kathy. That's one thing like Hollywood and the stereotypes. That's something that has, uh, you know, I think almost painted this picture in itself too, where to your point, I mean, we're, we are consumers uh, and uh, we definitely don't fit the stereotype or fit the spicoli. We're not ordering pizzas here in the studio while, <laughs> while doing a show. We may be doing a show, <laughs> but we're not, we're not going that far. We're not going that far. <laughs> but I think it's, it's a whole gone is what most people assumed what uh, consumers look like when it comes to cannabis. So, uh, But again, the, the magazine, I think, Kathy, a lot of the stories, and maybe if you want to touch on a few of the stories that uh, we have to look forward to in December, because you guys always have those great, uh, you know, rather be a featured individual that you highlight in the industry, or um, again, kind of s statistics around things are going in the industry. What else can you share for our listeners? Oh, dear. I'm buried in January's <laughs> issue already. I've already forgotten what's in December. Um, I know that we have a really, really good, interesting feature in <clears throat> December's magazine about um, how the big multi-state operators are approaching the market for the future. As cannabis becomes more of a, quote, I hate this term, but I'm going to use it anyway, mainstream yeah. consumer packaged goods industry, um, they're looking at, of course, you know, as federal legalization approaches, they're looking at how to secure their share of the market and hopefully expand it. So you've, I'm sure, noticed that a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions yes. have been going on lately. Yep. Um, this feature sort of dives into those big companies' philosophies and why they are doing things the way they are. A lot of them, it turns out, aren't really eager to acquire um, product brands. They're really yeah. more interested in retail and cultivation. That's hmm. where their focus lies. They do acquire product brands, but it's almost um, as an ancillary thing. It's just something gotcha. that comes along with a larger deal. They don't set out to acquire product brands in most cases. Interesting. And it's a really interesting look at the way they think and um, how they think the market is going going to go forward. Well, and I know that's one thing. So, uh, friend Nancy, who owns a Wana brand and a good buddy of mine that actually runs marketing over there, Joe Hodis, you know, obviously congratulated them with the M&A that occurred with them being acquired uh, from some friends to the north. Uh, but it is interesting that, to your point, and not to try to be all tea leaves and tarot cards, but I keep 
pointing this out and posting it up on LinkedIn that, you know, you guys pay attention to how many mergers and acquisitions and not just to your point, um, brands or off brands or those on the, the back end or the front end of the industry. But a lot of people kind of glazed over the fact that Jazz Pharmaceuticals purchased GW Pharmaceuticals out of England, which are two behemoths in their own right. And oh, by the way, right. GW is the only one that has true natural non-synthetic cannabinoid base uh, you know, a uh, pharmaceutical drug that has been approved by the FDA, which I still can't figure out because it's a schedule one drug. Anyway, that's a whole other <laughs> yeah. politics that don't make sense. But um, but you're right. A lot has gone on the last week. So it is interesting or in the last week and the last year. So it is interesting to hear that you are covering that because that's what I'm thinking. And I know that deal, it does have a contingency on federal legalization, as do several other deals with right. Canadians swooping up on American companies. And I, I kept predicting, I think I'm still there. I, I still predict that there's going to be a watershed moment in 2022. It might just be, it might just be decriminalizing or, or deregulating or working towards descheduling, but I feel like it's close. Like mm -hmm. there's so many things and you know this too, Rochelle, like there's companies coming together and people making shifts from public sector to private sector and the international is continuing to just blaze a trail ahead. Seems like there's a lot going on to where something has to give here or else we really have our head in the sand. Absolutely. You know? I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you if you look at the Canadians, for example, you you were just talking about Canadians. Um, the big Canadian companies all have major investment from outside industries. Yes. Nearby yeah. industries, um, the liquor industry, cigarettes, in particular, uh, and they are now starting to, or not starting to, they're picking up the pace of their acquisitions and investments in American companies. So um, my thought is that we're going to see a whole lot of Canadian action this next year. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, there's a couple of the Canadians who have said, as a matter of fact, that they think we're looking at federal legalization in 18 to 24 months. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, I believe yeah. it. I mean, it's just you look at um, and we just had this conversation recently, Kathy, but I mean, places like Costa Rica that are on the cusp to where something could give any day now. Mexico's finally getting their framework sorted for, you know, for their program. Germany unofficially announcing. I think the official announcement uh, friend over there said is coming on September. Or I'm sorry, on December 12th from the government. Mm. But um, all these all these other dominoes are falling, you know, and it's. uh I think actually Steve D'Angelo, I don't know if you follow him, Rochelle, or if you do, Kathy, but he posted up on LinkedIn. There was a, um, one of the snippets from Biden's mm. uh, campaigns, right? One of his commercials where he's talking yeah. about the, the criminal reform around cannabis and then decriminalizing cannabis at a federal. And I'm glad he posted that up. I mean, Steve posts up a lot of stuff, but I was like, yeah, people don't forget the promises that were made. That's right? why a lot of people in this industry supported rather your red, blue or, or liberal or anywhere on the spectrum. You know, a lot of people I know supported him because of what he was saying he would do for the industry. You know, it's interesting. So, yeah, I think it remains to be seen, though. You know, it seems like the you know, I don't want to get too political in the conversation, but, you know, there kind of has been some back and forth, I think, initially, yeah. but I think they're going to get it together. I do. Yeah, definitely agree. Definitely agree. Well, cool. Well, speaking of, and, and I know you guys now you work with a third party company when it comes to analytics around the industry. So maybe a few stats that you could share, Kathy, as well. I mean, I know we're seeing a, a slight decrease in flower consumption, slight increase in concentrates 
um, convenience makes sense to me. I've definitely made more of a shift towards edibles. I know Rochelle's like, what, what's in front of me? Uh, <laughs> so, oh, convenience is king. Edibles, <laughs> yeah, edibles are, are still doing really well. Um, the The beverage industry is taking off. Yes. I think mm-hmm. it got us kind of a slow start. I remember really we were talking about beverages two years ago. And only within the past year have they actually gotten any traction. So yeah. um, that's, an, that's a sector to watch because it could, be, it could become really, really active this year, I think. Yeah. Um, concentrates, of course, are still doing well. Pre-rolls um, <laughs> are another sector that right. does well. I think people are starting to move away from smokable products a little bit. Yeah. Um, Health concerns and respiratory. I mean, that that's right. what I thought. I think it's, yeah. Especially with the pandemic, I think that's had an effect. Yeah. And that's, we were, uh, we just did a webcast and I had a friend Jocelyn from a headset joint. And that's one thing that the, our, our topic was like the exponential growth in the pre-roll category. And I know the tides did pull back a little bit when, when COVID first came about, but I was surprised not just how much they rebound, but how it's almost doubled in percentages in some markets for people mostly purchasing, um, I think this generation calls them dog walkers. We used to call them pinners, but uh, yeah. you know, the, the smaller, the, the 0.3s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the smaller J's. And um, my gosh, yeah. Like to your point, Kathy, I, and Rochelle, you probably remember this. You know, you'd go into a dispensary or if you go on weed maps and find your local if you're traveling or whatever. And I go just to see the um, ambiance from one dispensary to another. Even if I didn't need product or wasn't looking to purchase, I still wanted for the experiential. But I remember when, when pre-rolls were like a giveaway. It was just like, right. uh, yeah, if you come in, get a pre-roll for a penny or make a purchase, get a free pre-roll. And it was almost this loss leader. And now it's really becoming uh, one of the more popular and, and more profitable SKUs for a lot of these companies, especially the vertically integrated. Definitely. So, yeah, it's that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. But um, pre-rolls have become a category of their own Yeah, that's Absolutely. trackable now. Um Instead of just being, you know, sort of a gimme. Yep. Yeah. Very true. It's interesting, too. I know Cy was talking, Cy Scott from Headset was talking about the differences between the Canadian and American markets with things like concentrates. Yes. Um, Yeah. They had a weird thing up there because they, they, what was, it was, um, uh, October 17th, 2018, when 2018, when they had launched uh, the adult use program, but that was, they were calling it Cannabis 1.0, and then they called it Cannabis 2.0 when they allowed concentrates a year later on the anniversary. I thought that was an interesting approach, though, to really kind of start slow with the flower and then ease into the higher concentrate, um, you know, skews, if you will. Yeah, they um, added edibles at that time, too, because edibles yeah. were kind of a no-no in Canada yeah. initially. Initially, all they were doing was flower and pre-rolls and things like that, and now they, they have the whole spectrum. Um, but yeah, can't, concentrates are, are starting to move in Canada, but they're a new thing up there. They've been around in this country for a long time. Yeah. Um, and people, they are gaining market share in this country too, though. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of people that are really excited about that. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, I get a lot, well, even just when we were up there for uh, Lift & Co. in Toronto a few weeks ago, we had an individual, one of the uh, pieces of equipment that Green Bros offers 
excuse me, it's our Alchemist lines. We have a smaller mm -hmm. kind of tabletop Alchemist 215, larger ones, the 420, but essentially it's a dry key, uh, dry key sifter. So you put yep. it in your biomass, right? Just your trims. Add a little dry ice and have it tumble and you get it out. And I was surprised by the number of LPs. That, I mean, one guy literally walked by and he's like, thanks to that machine, I added four SKUs to my to my uh, offering. Oh, wow. And I was so impressed. So he's like, yeah, standalone Keef, you know, obviously pre-rolls rolled in Keef, pre-rolls, you know, laced with Keef. Like he's going through his, and I was like, wow, that's so interesting because that's something, again, that would not have been a conversation in Canada a few years ago. Right. You know, right. so... Really Lots of keef going on up there, apparently. A <laughs> <laughs> lot, lot more keef the wax and shatter, it seems. Although they are getting into to, uh, fresh, to fresh frozen, like more of the fresh, you know, live stuff. So, right. which is kind of cool and healthier. And I'm, I'm more of a fan of solventless. You know, I think most know that. Like, I'm just, you can keep your CO2 and ethanol and butane. You know, there's natural ways to extract. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely been a bit of an interesting movement and, you're right and how I like how Cy and, and obviously Jocelyn does that comparison too between Canada and the US markets and how there definitely isn't an alignment there mm -mm. in the way it's consumed. No, know? very so, different. Yeah, for sure. So I think the last do you think one, that's gonna be how do you think that's gonna play out as the two markets get closer together if, if when the US federally legalizes and the Canadians come in and do their takeover? <laughs> <laughs> well that's it's a good point. I think that's why Canadians are smart and, and they are they are overall very friendly and I don't mean to generalize, but you know, these are kind of stereotypes, maple syrup, hockey and, and all that aside. Uh, but it is one of those things where they they know what they know what they're good at, but they know what they're not good at, right? So I wasn't surprised when an LP acquired Wanna Brands mm -hmm. because it's like, hey, there's a turnkey for all intents, like you said, Kathy. Edibles are concentrates. People forget that. People think concentrates are wax, shatter, crumble, etc. Concentrates are anything that is extracting a higher level of concentration of cannabinoids and terpenes out of the flower. So it definitely makes sense that they wanted to acquire a company that not only knew how to do it, but had the network and the brand behind it. Because I think they're looking for those turnkey acquisitions to help them get a little bit more aligned with those valuations that they came in so high mm -hmm. with. Because I hadn't seen valuations that high since I worked for Dotcom. I mean, mm -hmm. 70, 75 X. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. Um, so I think they have some ground to make up and they're pulling back. You can tell they're being conservative. Uh, you know, again, being up there at Lift Co., Normally, in years past, you'd have the Flying Dutchman and Canopy and Tilray and San Rafael and Tweed and uh, all of the names that we all know so well for Canadian LPs. I did not see a single LP on the floor. None of them had representation really? there. Yeah, it was a really interesting uh, experience. And it told me, okay, the, the party days are over, which I keep saying the one thing I've noticed. And again, I point to Rochelle, she was working the circuit that much back then too. It was summer of 2018 when I saw a lot of what I called the funny money or the people who come in hot from, you know, wolves of Wall Street types. We'll just say that. <laughs> they come in hot and they're like, oh, I'm going to take this over just like I did, you know, flash in the real estate market back in the late 2000s or, or even dot com in the late 90s. And they kind of got pushed out and it wasn't turning into a profit as quick as they thought. So all of a sudden those crazy parties uh, and events and just over the top spending on marketing and brand building really pulled back, you know, the summer of 2018. Um, and it's it's kind of feeling like this is still a continuation of that. Like, oh, we got to be serious. Stop spending the money. Start so, showing that we can save the money and, and make the money that we've committed to. So I think it'll be interesting when the two markets come together. Go back to your question, Kathy. I think that's where it'll be the overlap is they very much respect us for culture and craft. And that's why they're tied to a lot of companies domestically. But I think the way that in which things are consumed, but 
a big barrier is going to be the way that it's marketed. And being a guy that's a marketing at heart, and I think, Rochelle, that's really a bit of your background roundabout on the, the content side, it, it's, it's tough for them. I mean, they just can't promote and market. It's still, at the end of the day, the government is a middleman between the producer and the retailer, and it's very much a restriction, kind of like alcohol sales in Washington State, where when it's governed by the government, all of a sudden you don't see billboards of Bud Light everywhere and constant commercials and advertising. So I think that's going to be the tough thing for Canadians is how do they build um, not just brand recognition and brand equity, um, but that perception that builds value into that justified higher premium. Because right now you can get, I mean, there's one company, Pinner's, they're doing like a dozen little dog walkers, for like 10 or $12 Canadian. Mm. It's, it's insane. Like, wow. it's just not because they can't, like, it's a great name. It's a great um, um, iteration to consume. I mean, these neat little nicely done pre-rolls, but there's just, how are you supposed to promote it and market it? You can't. It's still treated like, you know. Right. And I don't think that everyone realizes that in Canada, the um, it's far more sterile, right? Yes. There's no there's yes. no branding on the packaging. Nope. It literally looks like like medication, essentially. It does. They treat um, it like medicine, yeah. And so, yeah, so how are you supposed to essentially capture that sort of brand experience when yeah. you literally cannot have it? Yeah. So, yeah, you're it's, right. It's interesting dichotomy. Challenge. Which is why they always used to have great representation at the shows, because that's, right. that, that's why Lift & Co. This is a great segue. Kathy, if you want to hang out, <laughs> if you want to hang out for the back half of the call, because uh, another thing MG does a great job of, I love. You guys always post up the trade shows and events that are coming up. But that was the last topic we were going to discuss today. But that's exactly a good point. And that's why, Rochelle, a lot of Americans would go up and work at Lift & Co. and say, well, why is it one day business? I mean, they have closed sessions on technically on day one, but for the exhibitor floor, it's open three days. One day is strictly B2B. And then the last two days are actually open to consumers. Right. And a lot of people are like, this doesn't make sense. These are all businesses, you know, ancillaries. Like, I mean, now Bovida, it's awesome because <laughs> you have audiences <laughs> on both sides of right. that proverbial fence, but people can understand why they let the consumers in. It's because it's a one place where the LPs could get that exposure to the consumer where it wasn't as sterile because Rochelle's spot on. I mean, they use medicine, I mean, not that we, we have child resistant and, you know, the two-step um, child resistant packaging here domestically, but we still make it look good. Theirs literally looks like medicine, to your point. Yes. They come in like medicine or even cosmetic containers that have child resistance, which is weird, but it's all sterile and white and they have little basic stickers. So I remember LP, like San Rafael, one of my uh, 1971 San Rafael, cool brand. They do promotions and giveaways and all, and their booth would always be busy. And that was their one direct contact short of doing activations and, and, you know, customer appreciation days at the local dispensaries. So it did surprise me that they just weren't there for the quote unquote party. <laughs> wow. Time, you know? So what were the majority of the companies that were exhibiting then? Was it mostly ancillary providers? It or? really was. Yeah. Okay. It was a lot of, you know, a lot of equipment, a lot of um, consumable, you know, j your, your bags and mm. your jars and mm -hmm. um, some things to simplify rather it be, um, fertigation systems or the latest lighting, you know, those type of things. So it was a lot of ancillary and um, they did kind of manipulate the floor. It's something that I think we're going to see in NCIA as well, where they widen the hallways mm. um, and kind of shrunk it a little, you know, without taking the footprint down, but obviously a little more open space. Okay. Um, that's something that they did to kind of compensate for that lack of representation. But they did as much, I think, as they could based on current state. I mean, we can't fault them on the HOCO. I know I'm planning Spanibus for mid-March. You know, we had to take last year off 
for valid reasons, health reasons, no one was going to travel. But this year, everyone's like ready, like pent mm-hmm. up, like there's stuff we have to do. You know, Costa Rica's moving forward and Germany's moving forward and Australia and New Zealand are finally kind of to get more momentum towards more mo- momentum, I should say, towards where they really want to be. So a lot of things are going on on the international front. That's always traditionally the international show. But now with the latest iter- iteration, the Omicron, you know, is it going to go on? Yes or no. <laughs> so I think it's uh, curious to see. But a lot of the things that have been going on to and um, to get into events that are coming up, we've got a Hall of Flowers um, for those that are attending. Uh, Rochelle will be at that. I try to make most of them, but this is one too many shows coming up. But we have <laughs> we have Hall of Flowers in Palm Springs, and then we have uh, Tim and Taylor Blake's uh, Emerald Cup, which yes. is going to be the Harvest Ball uh, coming up uh, next weekend. And then after that, we have NCIA. And I do have to say, it seems that, I don't know, I'll ask you, Rochelle, how you feel. Because these shows, I know MJ Impact got a lot of credit for the way that they approached making sure it was a safe environment, even more so than MJ Biz. Because they said, hey, you can pre-register, you know, your vaccination. And if not, you know, we do request that you have a test. And I saw that... um, don't think Hall of Flowers is doing that, but I saw that Emerald Cup was doing that. I was really impressed. I got an email wow. from them, their email blast, and they said, we do ask that you bring your um, you know, your, your vaccination card, digital or print, which sure. we all carry digital, which is cool. And then they also said, um, if you don't have vaccination or if you're partially through vaccination, that we do request a COVID test, um, you can come on site and get it done for free. So they literally are partnering with a local agency to do a rapid antigen test. Um, If you want to do it early on Friday morning or they have it all day Saturday, I think all day Sunday, that's pretty cool. I think because there's a lot of people apprehensive. There's still people that are dying. Still people are dealing with this. Absolutely. And we want to make, you know, a safe, inclusive space for everyone. Right. And so I think this really, really provides that because I think part of the issue um, is that it's, it can be hard to find a COVID test, you know, at oh last minute, yeah. you know? And so Very like the, the fact that they're like, hey, you know what? We will have it here for you if you need it and want it as a means to get into the show if you, you know, don't have a full vaccination card. So I think that's really awesome on their part yeah. to just step it up that sort of way. Yeah, and no cost. I mean, right. that's amazing. I, and just to tell you, fun story. Um, you know, couldn't do a rapid antigen going into Canada. So I had to get a, a PCR test. There was one place in my entire county. And for those who don't know, I'm in Ventura County, which is just north of LA County up the coast. And I, I literally, there was one place I had to go to is 150 bucks to get a PCR test to go yep. to Canada. Then once I got in Canada, I got randomly tested. It's not so random. They're picking on Americans. <laughs> Even the gal who tested me said that, you know, I'm like, why me? And she's like, well, where's your passport from? America? Mm, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So got a test then and then had to get a rapid antigen to come home. Right. So I got three tests in one week, thankfully. You know, the the second and the third were not an inconvenience whatsoever. But it is a challenge. You're right. It's hard for people to find. And a lot of people are questioning if this isn't a, a model towards profitability because a lot of the companies that are doing it are now private entities that are charging premiums. Seventy five dollars for rapid antigen, hundred fifty for PCR, expedite PCRs two or three hundred US. I mean, I saw one for four hundred. I was trying to drive up to Vancouver to see my friends. Uh, no kind of way. last minute when I was in um, Washington, yeah, like about yeah. a month ago. I thought, okay, let me see if I can find one. First of all, you couldn't get uh, a rapid PCR to save your life. And then if you wanted one, there was one place, 400 bucks if you wanted it within like six hours. Wow. Insane, it's, right? Yeah, it totally is. That's so. ridiculous. <laughs> it is. It is. There's a guy who's raising a stink up in Canada. He's kind of, um, I, I don't know, I don't 
don't know his background, but he's definitely an advocate towards uh, rights. And he was talking about a family that went on holiday in Palm Springs and it cost him 3000 US to get home. Now I'm guessing it's probably a family of six and it cost him five, like doing right. the math. Right. But I mean, that is, that's ridiculous, especially for a Canadian where they're paying $1.25 on the dollar US. I mean, they're not necessarily, you know, this isn't the, the most advantageous for, place for them to travel as far as strength of the dollar. And here they're having to pay exuberant amounts of money just to get home so the kids can go back to school, you know. Right. Anyway. No. Well, yeah. and that's what's so cool about, you know, what the Blakes are doing over at the Emerald Cup yeah. because, yeah. I mean, they're all about accessibility, they you are. know, for everyone in this, in this uh, plant medicine, right? And so why should we make an event that's supposed to be for the community to come together to celebrate the harvest, yep. inaccessible for folks who maybe can't find a COVID test or maybe, you know, there's a, a price situation there, you know, like yeah. they are making the opportunity possible for everybody. And that's just, it really speaks to their heart, honestly. It does. It does. I'm a huge fan. And, and it is one of those things, to your point, they are all about the community. You know, I know they're all about biodegradable. They're all about health conscientious, you know, no processed, all natural um, sourced for just food on site at the event. I mean, this is an event that's just a few days and they everything tees and eyes as far as having that type of energy and, and momentum and looking forward to having Tim on the show. I think it's next week. Um, and one thing that to kind of talk about, and Kathy, you, you might have a little input on this as well, as, as much as you obviously follow the industry, you know, Tim announced that he's doing the actual Emerald Cup. So the difference between the Emerald Cup and the, the Harvest Ball, for those who don't know, um, they had to do the cup virtual this year because of COVID. But now that things have gotten where they are, they're able to actually have still the celebration for the cup um, the same time of year. So there's still going to be the sessions. There's still going to be the live music. There's still going to be the marketplace. Right. So I think the energy is going to be the same, right? Yes. It's just the competition's not going on at the same time. So he's moving the actual competition down to uh, Southern California in next fall. Or I'm sorry, next spring. My apologies, right. next spring. And so I was kind of surprised because there were some individuals from up on the hill. They're like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. Sell out, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wow, this is just my opinion. I'm curious of yours, Kathy, as, as well as yours, Rochelle, is that, you know, that's the opinion in such a short-sighted, the way I looked at it, and I think I'm right, and I'm going to talk to Tim about it, is the way I took it is he wants to bring all of this phenomenal flour that's being produced in, let's face it, the, the cultural and, um, and craft center of the world. And I've traveled everywhere. Trust me, I haven't found anything better than Northern. I'm biased, but I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's bringing that down to the largest, both legal and illicit consumer market in the world. I mean, so I have friends that are like, I'd love to distribute down my Ulance. I'd love for it to be in your local dispensary. But by the time it gets down there, it's a net zero sum for me. Like literally, right. I, I don't make any money because of the middleman and the taxes and the, all the rest of it. So I see Tim is really helping create those brands just like what, um, Kathy, you, you probably remember the Emerald Exchange, right? I think you all sponsored oh, them, yeah. right? Uh -huh. And so, yeah. you know, what Michael uh, Katz and the, and the guys did with Emerald Exchange, I was so impressed because they brought down typically at least two or three dozen farms from Northern California, from the Triangle, from Grass Valley, Nevada County, and they bring them down to the Santa Monica Mountains. And that was the one event in SoCal that felt like I was back home in NorCal. Mm. Like they had like everything from, you know, yoga over here and learning sessions over there. And it was just so, it was just like a traditional farmer's market that you go to up in like Soham or Laytonville or something. And so I don't know, what are your all's opinion if you're familiar with it moving to LA or what you've heard? Have, have you seen some people that are kind of questioning it getting moved out of the Northern California 
setting to hear? I think it's I not. haven't heard any scuttlebutt about it. I mean, any complaining or anything about it. Not that yeah. I won't, but I just haven't yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Still soon. I don't know. I think Tim's making a smart move. I think the cultural exchange aspect yeah. of it is interesting. Um, also, you know, if you move these things around a little bit, you kind of open up a lot of opportunities for a lot of different people. For sure. For sure. Definitely agree with so, that. Yeah. Definitely agree with that. That's I what... understand the um, the attitude up in NorCal about wanting to keep those those things there yeah. where they started, but nothing stays the same forever. <laughs> Just, it's true. So true. I, yeah. I hate to sound hard hearted there, but no, I, I think you're right, and I think as and it's not if it's a when export comes. That's why, in my opinion, there's like one huge operation, $90 million plus operation that was built in Sacramento. And I think a big reason why a foreign investor built that operation was anticipation for exportation to be able to say this was grown in Northern California. So I don't know if, if I was a grower, that's what I'd be waiting for in NorCal is fighting through and all this battle makes it worth it because at the end of the day, I'm growing something essentially equivalent to the Champagne region for sparkling wine. Right. Like you can't that's say that it's humble grown anywhere else. And when export comes... That's it brings an X factor to the value and the perceived value of your product. Truly. That's the thing. I think, you know, even once the U.S. goes federal, there will be people in other parts of the country wanting Humboldt flour simply because yep. it's been around forever. Everybody knows about Humboldt flour. Um, it doesn't matter if you get the same named flour in another part of the country. It's not going to yep. be the same flour. Oh, so true. Mm -hmm. So true. Genotype can only get you so far. It's the pheno that, <laughs> you know, really right. makes those Appalachians. Yes. So. The Appalachians. And Appalachians, I think, are going to be real important once federal legalization occurs. I think Humboldt should be looking at that and setting themselves, the Humboldt growers should be setting themselves up for a national distribution system that will get yep. their flower out there, like you were saying, sort of like a champagne or... Um, some of the wines that yeah. from, you know, California wines have a reputation as well. Um, so I think that's something that they need to really be looking forward to and planning yeah. for. And this kind of thing that Tim is doing by moving the Emerald Cup down to SoCal, I think, is part of that. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And that, you know, that kind of terroir, that's something that Frenchie Cannoli, you know, oh, yeah. rest in peace, would yeah. always talk about. Um, that how the Emerald Triangle will soon someday be the Bordeaux of cannabis. Yep. And we're already yeah. on the way. I mean, um, you know, there's already being protections being passed by the state legislature to make sure that, you know, these farmers are protected and that they are recognized. Yeah. Because it, it truly is something different up there. That was a big win. You're spot on, Rochelle. That's something they did amend to Prop 64 versus Prop 215 was the Appalachians Project, which uh, there's a group based out of the Triangle that are all tied to that. And it's going to make a huge impact. A lot of people I don't appreciate, I don't feel as much appreciated as they should that, you know, it is more so, I have to admit, it's more so Humboldt and Mendocino, not to leave Trinity out of it, but it is more so Humboldt and, and Mendocino that are synonymous worldwide, but domestically 100%. Everyone knows the triangle and it's only going to be beneficial 
And, you know, I remember even, you probably remember this, uh, Kathy, the dosist. I remember the dosis used to be humble. I still have the shirt from when it was humble where they took out the vowels. Yeah. It's, I mean, I have some great collector items. I think you, I have a feeling you do too, Rochelle. I think you have some collector items from this Definitely. The, for the, the OGs. The OG stuff. <laughs> but they changed their name to dosis because of, they knew that the, the Appalachians Project was coming in that they couldn't claim to because they weren't from or based out of, as opposed to Canadips, as an right. example. Love, love the business. And they are based out of Humboldt. It's Canadips Humboldt. So justifiably so. So very cool. Yeah. And I think there's other um, shows. What else? So um, I don't know, Kathy, you guys used to, you used to uh, represent, I think you are sponsoring, I think you're sponsoring Emerald Cup, right? And then I, I think you guys are going to be up in NCIA too. We have a long standing history with Emerald Cup. Um, it's a great, great event. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and Tim and Taylor are just great folks. So, 100%. Um, I, I think they, they're iconic in the industry. They are people who will live forever in this industry simply because of that event, that series of events. Now it's not just one oh, event yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and we are... Working with NCIA, we've worked with NCIA for a number of years. We're, I don't think we're actually sponsoring the show this time, gotcha. um, but we will be there. I mean, yeah, we'll you'll have be there. People there. Going to have you all to my. Uh, we're doing a little networking event uh, one night, yeah. so going to have you all swing by and say hello. Looking forward to that. Mm, but yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Rochelle's like, do you tell? Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, a networking <laughs> event, you say? Yes, yes. So, and you probably, you, I know Rochelle's heard me talk about this before. So, uh, a friend, Raymond Navis, RW, also he's a longtime writer. He comes from mainstream. Uh, but he segued over into the industry a handful of years ago mm -hmm. and he started this weekly uh, networking call and it's some really unique individuals and he's kind of methodical. I, I like it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of looked at as a resident marketing expert, but they have um, at least three lawyers that are representation from a legal and then you have producers and you have MSOs, but you have people that kind of complement each other within the industry. And it's not so much just to open up opportunities of being able to work together, but um, being able to support each other because there's one individual, this guy, Frank, he's great, but um, he's, he doesn't understand marketing. So he's like, you know, all I care about is like, how am I supposed to get them to represent my brand in the dispensary? I bring it in and they're still promoting the other guy. Like I, you know, I'm hearing them speak and I'm trying to explain to them how that's why you have to build more than just a brand. You don't just build a label. You know, Apple didn't just say this looks cute. It's going to sell a million phones. There's a lot of thought that goes into it, you know, and there's a lot of pillars that help position you to have the level of brand equity, to get the placement, to get the, the purchases happening. So really interesting, different folks. Anyway, we did finally come up with a name for the networking group because it sounds weird to always say, oh, the RW Navis event. Mm -hmm. Although it's, it's a cool name, but so it's actually the Canapac. And oh. um, yeah, so there's going to be a Canapac event in Palm Springs. Uh, they just closed the um, um, the RSVP on that one, but that one's going to be happening, I think, while you're out there. I think it's the night before, Okay, I want to say. And then the one that we're doing up in NorCal, we're actually doing, and again, I'm fully geeking out. You can tell I had a hand in this because, because being, I'm going home. It's at the waterfront, which is sick. For those that, that know San Francisco, it's literally right on the water, and they have this tent out on the pier. So it's kind of our own little space. 
consumption is totally fine. And um, just a networking event, you know, in the city wrapped around Mm -hmm. NCIA and a few other events that are going on. Um, But I see more doing that. And that was kind of the last thing I wanted to to wrap. And and again, curious of both your opinion on this. It kind of seems... You've been back on the circuit since at least Oklahoma, right? I think, Michelle? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's been, yeah, for a while. Yeah, it's been a minute. And so both of us kind of hit the ground running. One thing that I noticed, and it's unfortunate, is it seems like the big events are still big. I'm still optimistic about Spanibus as long as Omicron or whatever comes next in the Greek alphabet doesn't, you know, cause such a disruption. Um, and MJ Biz was a lot. I don't think it was twenty five thousand, like some rumors I heard from from the organizers. I'm thinking more of fifteen, give or take. Uh, but uh, that was good. Obviously, MJ Impact, uh, George and team had about three thousand, very high level C suite that attended their event. But the local and regional shows, I don't know. What do you think, Rochelle? Oh, you know, it's so hit or miss. You right? know, it really, really depends. I mean, there are shows that people really build up. And they think there's going to be a big turnout and, you know, not too many folks show up. And then there are ones that surprise you, right. you know, and they're totally packed. So, you know, and I think it's it really does seem, you know, especially when it comes to the COVID stuff that I would say the majority of people that I know in cannabis are a little less COVID cautious as far yeah. as like, you know, they're ready to get back out there. Oh, yeah. Right? Like you yeah. Were, we're building point. something here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like we don't really have time to be yeah. sitting around waiting. You know what I mean? And like we're trying to do it as safely as possible. 100%. You know, you know, you know, Vax card negative COVID test, mask wearing, you know, everything like that. Right. But, you know, we need to get out there. And to your point earlier, when, when it comes to planning cannabis, people are ready, you know, you missed out on one year and then cannabis, it's like dog years, really. Oh, it really is. (laughs) (laughs) This is as close to dot com as you get. Truly. It really does fly by. And I have to agree with you, you know, that, I mean, Oklahoma was a good show, but it's also an emerging market and it's a limitless license market. And it happens to be the hat of Texas, which a lot of people are, are building their foundation in. And this will excite you, Kathy, because Texas is coming. People don't know. Eventually, there's actually a new a new pack in Texas uh, pushing on the legislature to get off the fence and do something finally. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. It's a lot of people, again, I look at things and you do too, Kathy. So we always have great conversations. The one thing a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, as far as those most influential states by way of populace and obviously seats in Congress, et cetera, but, you know, you've got California that was originally medical 96 and then and then moved on to adult use in 16 and that, well, voted for. And then, um, you know, you have New York that's come around. You have Florida that's moving forward. So really that last kind of pivotal state as far as population and influence is Texas. And I know there's been interest. They had the Compassionate Care Act from several years ago and, and they actually amended it to increase the you know percentage of THC. There's only three dispensaries and you obviously it's not just... Uh, medical recommendation. Literally, your doctor has to qualify you. Yeah, um, but it's nearly useless. Yeah, right? It, yeah, it's it's kind of like can't get to the product. You yeah, know, this, yeah. This, it's just you know what what does somebody in Lubbock do, for example? Oh my know? god! Yeah, right. Yeah, that's exactly. If you're somewhere besides. Um, I'd say pretty much the Houston Austin. Metro. Yeah. Austin, yeah. Dallas, maybe Corpus Christi. You're kind of out. I mean, if you're in Amarillo, good luck, you know. And yeah. So, Amarillo, Lubbock, anywhere on, on the West. That's yeah. Abilene. Just, yeah. Sorry. Yep. You're just yeah. going to have to suffer out there. Yeah. Or you're going to have to travel for half a day or more to get 
to one of the areas where there is a dispensary. Lubbock is way out there, y'all. It I is. mean, <laughs> getting from getting from one side of Texas to the other is a twelve-hour affair. I mean, Lubbock, you um, might as well go over to to um, here, uh, New Mexico at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, but then you can't get back across the state line with it. That's true. Right. <laughs> Smoke it on the line. <laughs> well, and we're seeing a very similar situation back in Minnesota. I mean, I'm from Wisconsin originally, lived in the Twin Cities for 13 years and going back and forth from Oakland for a few years yeah. now. And, you know, their their medical program is so, so strict. They do have THC, but, you yeah. know, it's cartridge form only and some edibles. They're getting flowers yep. starting in 2022, but finally, there's only two uh, LPs in the state. Yeah. They run the dispensaries. There are maybe eight dispensaries. Yeah. Right. So people in outstate Minnesota, they literally have to drive, you know, three, four hours to get their medicine. It's $100 for a cart. Yeah. You know, it, it's ridiculous. That really was. That's one thing, you know, it's an interesting point that you make. Minnesota, uh, formerly New York and Florida, they were all trying to be a flowerless consumption state. And you yeah. just can't, I mean, as a medical advocate, not an how activist. How do you do that? You, yeah, how can you? I know, you? right? I mean, it's ridiculous. You cannot get yeah. the whole plant. And I'm sorry, even, even you know, live live resin, I respect it. Mm-hmm. But if you really want the true whole plant, and that's a reason why historically, holistically, that's how it's been consumed. You really need the whole plant. You can't get it in a distillate. And you know they're doing, I know, I think it's CO2 that is predominant out there in the yes. Minnesota market. They're stripping so many of the terpenes out that they just can't get back in, you know? No. So it is tough I think to people are trying, are starting to realize, we've talked a lot about the entourage effect over the years, and you don't hear that much about it anymore. Nope. But I think that may be because people really are starting to understand how that works and that terpenes are as important as the THC percentages or more important, maybe. Absolutely. They're absolutely more important. You know, like just walking into a dispensary and saying, I want your highest testing THC (laughs) flour. Like that is no, no, that's not, that's not how it should be. I want your highest terpene percentage, which (laughs) I've found five, 6%. And that really, and that's, I always say the cannabinoids are the engine, but the terpenes are the steering wheel. Really, that's what steers it. And you're spot on, Michelle. A lot of people that still have that focus. And like you said, Kathy, and I think there's a few doctors and scientists that have really started supporting this. They're getting away from utilizing the term entourage effect because usually there's one leading element in that factor, right? That's why you have an entourage, you know, whoever is P. Diddy has an entourage because right. he is the pinnacle. He's the crux and everyone else falls back. Whereas they're starting to say it is more of a concert effect. So it's everything in sync. It's the terpenes and the cannabinoids. They're all equally in sync and able to deliver that therapeutic end result. So, but good yeah, stuff. I like that. Yeah. Well, gosh, well, Kathy, I definitely appreciate you having having you on the, the station here and having you on the show. It's been fantastic, as always, to catch up with you. We can talk for hours, as sometimes we do. <laughs> and I want to thank Rochelle for coming in. Every time she's in town, she's nice enough to come by and be our guest host. And so we will be talking more about events after the first of the year, and I think we'll have her in more often. So thank you both for joining us. We very much appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having me, Lance. I've really enjoyed it. I always enjoy talking Definitely. to you. Yes. Likewise. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome to be here. Thanks. Good to chat, Kathy. Cool. Yeah. Hope to chat with you again. Really, we do need to talk. <laughs> we will. We will. Excellent. <laughs> okay. All righty. Well, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into Cure to Consumption. Once again, I am your host, Lance Lambert. Definitely take care of each other. And remember, at the end of the day, it's all about good vibes. Until next time, we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.